Hey, sophisticated spectators. Want to stay loud, laced, and locked in to Beyond the Bleachers? Our brand new website, beyondthebleacherspodcast.com, has links for every streaming platform where you can listen to new episodes every Monday, including Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at beyondthebleachers underscore. What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bleachers. My name is Samantha. I have my lovely co-host Jocelyn with me, and we have just spent the last two hours trying to record this episode. But girl, how's it going? Finally. Listen, thank God we are on. We are ready to go. We're ready to talk basketball. There's so much to talk about. Let's just talk about it before anything. Devil try to hold us back. You will not prevail. Oh my God. Thank you, God. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So if you're watching me on a reel, you will see that I have my Maryland hoodie on today. She's now we, we lost against Iowa, but I must say that this was probably the best game I've seen Maryland play all season long. And they definitely were, you know, hearing the heat that other people had to say and if it was anything like what I was thinking it was not very good a lot of what I've been thinking y'all have been hearing every week (laughs) even down to some people were calling for coach Brenda Freeze to you know make her way to somebody else's (laughs) roster But I will say that this is the first Maryland game where I actually felt like the chemistry started flowing. The aggression was there. They were confident in a way that we hadn't seen them be confident before. Their chemistry, you could tell, has come a long way since the beginning of the season. They had this crazy move where Cheyenne Sellers did like a backdoor cut to the basket. And there was this crazy pass by Lavender Briggs in the third quarter that really just solidified to me that this team has come a long way. Even though it was a loss, I definitely felt like this is the Maryland that I miss. This is the Maryland that I know. This is where it's a top 25 team. You know, and Brenda Freeze even said it, you know, We have what it takes to be top 25, and it doesn't matter how long it takes for you to get there, but they have what it takes. And I think that if they can keep this momentum going, they might not make it into the top 25 by the end of the season, but they definitely have an opportunity to slide into the tournament because that game yesterday, the crowd was crazy. You saw Iowa fans, of course, Maryland fans. It was a sold-out crowd, over 18,000 people packed into the Xfinity Center. So great energy, great vibes. And like I say, even though it didn't end in a W, I was just so happy to see Maryland on the upswing, looking super confident. Team chemistry was all the way there. And I had a lot of pride watching that game. I was super excited for your latest Terps because they went off. Okay. And unfortunately, yeah, the score didn't reflect that. And it would have just put the icing on the cake. But with in front of a sold-out crowd, you know, in front of Caitlin Clark because they wanted to make it the Caitlin Clark show, y'all made it hard for her, okay? 
And that's all you can ask for. So I'm super proud of your ladies because that was a game to watch and they should feel super proud of themselves as well. And just like you said, uh, Brenda Freeze, listen, don't freeze, okay? (laughs) We need you there, okay? Because those ladies definitely believe in her and you could tell that they were bought in, they had the buy-in, they were ready to go. And I'm super excited for them. So I'm sure we'll see them in the tournament come tournament time because we are at that time of year where everybody is putting up and they're not shutting up because they want to be a a factor in March Madness. And the the madness is not going to just be there. It's going to be insanity because we've already seen it happening. So I am so ready for your ladies to show up. Okay. Yes, a round of applause. But we also have to give a round of applause for my Gamecocks because, oh my gosh, we are still undefeated. Yeah. I mean, it was Sunday. Sunday, January 28th, the Gamecocks versus Vanderbilt. So we played about a span of like three games already. So I'm about to just try to go through them super fast because my ladies have been out here balling out of control and I'm absolutely in love with it so what I love about this game is that basically everybody is out here playing to win you hear me playing to win and I mean this is when you know that a team is ready to go into an area uh, uh, just basically like you said before into uh March Madness because Every player that I can think of is scoring. And that's what I absolutely love. So what I absolutely love about this game is that everyone who played scored. Okay, South Carolina does well when they share the ball collectively. Like everybody's getting touches. There were five players in double figures. And the leader of the pack was no other than Camilla Cardozo, okay? With 23 points, along with six rebounds, homegirl was balling, okay? And I'm talking about now, we we talked about it, Sam. We've talked about how Cardozo has a little trouble with some of those post moves that we want to see her do because we love the fact. It's the footwork, honey. It's the footwork, baby. We the got footwork, this time don't in the percolator. It don't be footworking. All right, we got to get the footwork going. And this lady was getting, because we already know, we love how she runs the floor. I mean, it's pretty much beautiful. She looks like she's a, like a, a gazelle, gazelle when she runs the floor. See, great minds think alike, Sam. But absolutely, she's like a gazelle when she's running the floor. And I mean, she's sprinting and her legs are just stretching. It's it's gorgeous, but we just want you to start getting the, that footwork down. And that's what she's starting to do. And I absolutely love it. I don't know if she's been working with Aaliyah Boston or just like the coaches on the post side. It's been working. Okay. Whatever you're doing, baby, keep on doing it because you are killing it. And I love it because you're adding that to a game. Even Carolyn, uh, Carolyn Peck has said it in um, one of the games that they were com- she was commentating was that she needs to get her rhythm when it comes to her drop step, and just her regular post moves. And I'm seeing her jumping for rebounds. I absolutely love it. Putting it, you know, jumping for rebounds on these offensive putbacks, it's insane and it's a sight to see. And if she starts to do that consistently, Cardozo will not be guardable. That's all I have to say. When she starts to add more of that athleticism to her actual movement, when she gets the ball down low, 
no one's going to be able to stop her. And if they try, she'll just go to the line. So I'm so happy to see that. Um, I have to give credit to two players on Vanderbilt, both scoring 18 points apiece. Uh, Sasha Washington, she's a 6'2 junior forward. That was clutch for her team, honestly. She really kept them in it. Also, uh, she brought in seven rebounds and one assist. The other standout player for Vanderbilt was Aga Makarot, uh, who also had 18 points and seven rebounds. They, it was kind of weird. Like, they both had the same stats except for that one assist. So kudos to them. It wasn't a blowout, so that's a testament to you know Vanderbilt's shooting the ball well. Uh, they had 40% field goal percentage to South Carolina's 51. So they took, you know, took more, we took more shots. Um, and it's just that not of theirs just didn't fall. But the end of the score was 91 to 74. Then we're going to go on over really quickly to Auburn versus my Gamecocks. Okay. That was February 1st. Great kickoff to Black History Month. Also, y'all, my sophisticated spectators, our sophisticated spectators, happy Black History Month. We know we love y'all out there. And for the allies, we love y'all too. All right, so the highlight for this one is Ashlyn Watkins starting, okay? And this is due to Chloe Kitts. She's been out uh, for health reasons. We don't really know, but it's been a lot of bugs and such going around. Kind of so myself. Not the vid, but something else. But basically, when her name was called, Dawn Staley has talked about this before in a post-game press conference that, if your number is called, your name is called, you better be ready. And Ashlyn Watkins was born ready. Okay. She was all over the stat sheets in this game, especially in the first quarter. I mean, she was giving you rebounds. She was putting up shots. She was putting back shots. She was blocking shots. She was taking shots. It's crazy. You know, she was wonderful. And I absolutely love her. She's been really showing out after her second, you know, uh, dunk a few games ago. Everybody loves Ashlyn Watkins. And if you don't, what are you doing? But anyway, she's been a full-time great contributor to the Gamecocks in winning. I mean, 15 rebounds and 14 points. Come on, girl. Starting, you know, she's starting to look great. So congratulations to you, Watkins. You are balling. But in the first five minutes of the game, my Gamecocks already had five offensive rebounds. So that was a good start to everything. And the thing about, you know, defending the guard positions is knowing, like, your opponent. Typically, if you know your person you're guarding, you know, you normally, like, give them a little room and space if they're faster. Um, But our guards are just on it, and I absolutely love it. You know, Auburn, um, they all have – I have to say their players – one of their players, Honesty Scott Grayson, she dropped 31 on us. It's crazy. She's a baller. She's quick. She's got it. And she's a 5'9 senior, so good thing she's getting out of there. (laughs) But she did awesome, so congratulations to you. But we also won that game, too. All right, and now finally, Sunday, February 4th, Gamecocks versus Ole Miss. We, you know, did not – we missed a lot of shots, actually, but we still found a way to get it in there. We won that one to 85 to 56. And that last game against Auburn was 76 to 54. Our ladies are undefeated still. Number one, let's go. So for the past three weeks, we have been talking WNBA free agency. February 1st, the start of Black History Month, was also the first day that players can actually sign contracts 
for their respective teams that they would like to join. We have a nice long list of players that have already been locked in, got their contract signed. And so I'm just going to rattle them off real quick. And then we'll kind of talk about what excites us and what still worries us now that we've kind of got a little bit of a picture shaped. So in addition to the stuff that we've already talked about in the last three episodes, if you haven't heard them, you should go back and listen to them. These are new happenings. We have Tiffany Mitchell from Minnesota now going to Connecticut in exchange for Natisha Heidemann. We have Kia Nurse from Seattle Storm traded to the Los Angeles Sparks for draft picks. Ariel Powers has signed a one-year deal with the Atlanta Dream. Courtney Williams signs a two-year deal with the Minnesota Lynx. Kia Stokes re-signed with the Las Vegas Aces. Natasha Cloud of the Washington Mystics has now signed with the Phoenix Mercury. Skylar Diggins-Smith of the Phoenix Mercury has now signed with the Seattle Storm. Rebecca Allen of the New York Liberty was traded to the Phoenix Mercury in exchange for Mariah Jefferson. Jordan Canada of the Los Angeles Sparks was traded to the Atlanta Dream with the 12th pick for Ari McDonald's. Dee Richards has signed with the Washington Mystics. Katie Lou Samuelson has signed a two-year deal with the Indiana Fever. Emily Anksler has signed with the Washington Mystics. Demirs Dantas has signed with the Indiana Fever. Lindsay Allen has signed with the Chicago Sky. Rachel Bannum has signed with the Connecticut Sun. Sydney Colson has re-signed with the Las Vegas Aces. Monique Woo! Billings has signed with the Los Angeles Sparks. And Ray Burrell has also signed with the Los Angeles Sparks. So I just rattled off between 15 and 20 different exchanges that has happened. What is the, the move or the team that you are most excited about given these changes? And what is the team that you feel is still kind of struggling when it comes to free agency at this moment? Well, you already know I'm excited about my girl Skylar Diggins-Smith. Going on over to Seattle Storm. Absolutely love that grab. We knew that Jewel Lloyd was over there working her magic. They've played before. She knows her. They know each other. That chemistry is about to be insane. Who knows? We might see Seattle out here working, okay? Putting in work and giving these top teams that we think are still in the running, which is New York and Vegas, the Aces, they might give them a run for their money, and I can't wait to see it. Also, I can't forget about the Dallas Wings. So that was my most exciting grab that we kind of already knew was going to happen. It was starting to shape out that way. Also, shout out to Skylar Diggins-Smith because she definitely liked our comments and our commentary that we've been saying about her because we advocate for you, girl. We love you over here on the pod. Come on the pod. Come on the pod. Anyway, um, the one that I actually am least excited about, and yes, there is bias because we talk about us being biased over here, at least me, and it's with the aces. <sighs> what I'm going to just say is I'm still upset, and Sam knows this because I've talked her head off about it. You know, they gave us the nice thank you to Kayla George saying thank you to her and, and you know, goodbye. And also a good thank you and goodbye to Elena Coates. And they brought on Gustafson, right? Gustafson. Gustafson. I said Gustafson. I don't know why I keep saying that. That I'm sorry, madam. But I was not super enthused by this grab. Only because I felt like, one, 
even Kayla, if, if we're going that route, you might as well have kept Kayla and Miss Little Baby Pearl on the team. Or, you know, we've already seen what Elena Coase has been doing overseas in Turkey. She's a double-double machine. And if anything, I feel like she's proven herself to come back to the Aces that she's already sort of, you know, had a little time with, want to ring with. It just made sense for her to be that next step in their, you know, in their in their group, in their squad. And she's already familiar with the players. There doesn't need to be, there doesn't need to be any, you know, kind of chemistry read if you have, if you, if, you know, I have to say that. And that's where I'm kind of just not enthused by. I know, Sam, you have your thoughts on that. You thought it wasn't a terrible pick because of, you know, we're talking about salaries and people who are getting the max, you know, you're on a team with uh, Kelsey Plum and Asia Wilson. So I get it. I get it, Becky, but listen, Becky, we can't keep playing through these same six to seven players that you keep doing because we already see, saw what happens that sometimes key players get hurt, like uh, Candace, uh, like uh, Kia Stokes. Shout out to you, Kia Stokes. Glad that you're back. But like a Kia Stokes and like a Chelsea Gray. Hello. So, I mean, I just want them to make smarter decisions. That's all. For me, the team that I'm, I think, equally excited for but also scared of is the Atlanta Dream. They have made some great moves thus far, securing aerial powers, trading for Jordan Canada, even getting Tina Charles back into the league. I think on paper, it looks really great. I'm worried as to how all of that will fit together with the core that they already have there. So that would be the team that if it works, it could be great, but it could also be not so great if all the pieces can't come together. I think aside from Atlanta, the other team that I'm still a little bit worried about, actually there's two teams that I feel like have not been making enough moves considering all of the other things that are going on in the league. And it would be a tie between the Indiana Fever and the Washington Mystics. I don't know (laughs) what they're doing and I don't know what they're waiting for. We know that the Washington Mystics have already lost such a huge player in Natasha Cloud. And there's we've talked about the rumor that they may also be losing Elena Deladon. Indiana, we have talked about tirelessly over the last year, both on our lives and on our podcast episodes, <laughs> yeah. about how much help they actually need. And I'm not really impressed with either of their moves. So I hope that both of those teams do something quickly because they need help. A lot of help. I agree. They need massive help over there, but you know, my bias where my bias lies, but yeah, I mean, there's still time, right? So (laughs) hopefully they get it together before, you know, it's time to really start closing up these rosters. We've talked a lot about the one and done rule and how, in the WNBA, you have to do a certain amount of years of college and be a certain age before you can enter into the draft. In recent years, we have seen this surgence of freshmen and sophomores that have completely taken over the NCAA space. And it started to ignite the conversation of should the WNBA consider instilling the one and done rule where you can You're only required to play one year and then you can join the league. Now, of course, we know that there's some logistics that have, you know, a lot to do with why that is not a thing right now, namely 
number of roster spots, number of teams. There's no developmental league. So those are the barriers that we see as like the hugest things stopping the WNBA from taking that route. If those things can get addressed, would the one and done rule, could it actually be implemented into the women's game? I think so. I mean, we are going to talk about her and I think everybody knows about her. Who could, who doesn't? Juju Watkins from USC. It really applies for her. I mean, we can run down a couple of, you know, several other names too, but I think in this case for a Juju, I don't really see what else she might need to learn. It's insane. Like the level that she's already at, it's already surpassing even some of these seniors and graduate students, juniors as well, you know, that are playing now that maybe not even might have a look at the draft for the W. So I do think they might need to implement these sort of uh, this rule for the women's side because the talent is just going to keep getting better and we're just going to start seeing more and more players dropping 51 like a Juju Watkins on a different level. You know, like Caitlin Clark, we saw her around last year start to really, you know, take the whole NCAA by storm and they're already talking about her for the W. But the fact is Juju is already getting all this hype and she's not even a full year in yet. And so the one and done, I think it would make so much sense for her because she's already playing like a pro, to be honest with you. And to just, you know, get her feet wet in the NCAA side, that's great. But she's already playing these great teams. Going up against a Stanford and dropping that much is insane to me. And I just think that it's just because she's on a different level. And uh, incorporating that one and done rule for the uh, for the NCAA women's side just makes sense in her case. Didn't you look up more names? Yes, I did. That was a whole segue for you. (laughs) Oh, and so there's more names, right? So Malaysia Full Wiley is another Gamecocks, uh, you know, freshman that's out here going insane. And her averages are wild. And I absolutely love what she's doing over there. And, you know, even though the Gamecocks is my team, I'm not trying to say that, you know, she's the only freshman out here because she's not. But when you're looking at her, I wouldn't say that she's a one and done because I think there's there are exceptions to the rule, honestly. Because with the Juju Watkins, I think she's already got the IQ and she's ready to go. With a Malaysia Full Wiley, I would say there's a possibility for her, but she might need a couple more gears. So I wouldn't say a one and done. With a lot of the players that I'm going to start mentioning, I think that's kind of the case. Also, you're going to go with Hannah Hidalgo, uh, Notre Dame. Okay, so she's averaging, I believe, like 20, 25 points per game and about seven to eight assists, uh, about six rebounds. So she's on a level where, okay, she's definitely a step ahead of even just her upperclassmen for Notre Dame. And that's another player that I would say, yeah, the one and done looks like it could work for her. But again, a lot of times when you're the freshman, it's a lot of like just getting your footing and understanding what the, the gameplay is like on a higher level. Moving from high school, I think she was averaging like 29 points in high school, a crazy amount of assists, like about eight to 10. So 
you know, moving from that to, to college, but then finding a way to let it peel over and it doesn't even seem like you have much of competition, that's when, you know, we're starting to look at, okay, there's there's something here. This person might really be a great look for the one and done rule. So I would say it applies for not Malaysia yet just yet. I think she might actually benefit from playing a little bit more, but Juju. I'll say check it. Yes, she's a one and doneer. Hannah, I would say check it. Yes, she's a one and doneer because again, it's just a different level that you can tell. Like we talked about it even on the the pod that you know, Malaysia was making certain mistakes that were just kind of like rookie, you know, freshman mistakes. And when you look at a Hidalgo and even you know, yeah, she'll have some mistakes, but there's some mistakes on pro levels, but it's not to the extent of like okay that's literally youth. It's just sometimes we make mistakes and that's just a human way, but not really a rookie way, you know? So even Juju, she's really smart. You know, she takes her time on offense. She's smart on defense. And I know we like to say, you know, when we get to the pro that a lot of pros don't really like playing defense that much, but uh, Malaysia pulls brings in that defense, but she lacks the experience. And I feel like Juju, Hidalgo experience. So that's what we're really looking at. We're looking at like who has the experience and the talent and not just, you know, the talent. Also, I want to go to um, not on a, the top 25 because I went through all the top 25 and there's people, there's some players that are like, you know, uh, they're players to watch, but they're not all the players that you really want to like actually say the one and done rule should apply to them. But I do think Iowa State, you actually brought her to my attention, Sam. Uh, Audie Crooks, she averages about 7 to 18 points per game and 7 to 8 rebounds. She's got a 59% field goal percentage. She's 6'3", and she's a center. Even though she's a short center, she'll probably go on over to the pros and be like a a really strong, uh, small power forward. Uh, But she's one of those players that I think we could shape in the, you know, the W, you know, like that's another player that I'm saying that they're putting up bigger points, you know, like all around the stat sheet. It makes sense where like, you know, there's some players that are like, oh, maybe they'll make about nine points and all that. I don't think those players are ready. So when I say that, I'm saying that like players like uh, uh, Cadence Samuels from uh, UConn, she's 6'2", she's a 6'2 guard. Um, and she's one to watch. She's averaging about five to six point two, uh, five six points a game, two uh, to three assists per game. So you know those are players that are like you cannot get excited about, but they're not really there yet. So not a one and done. Also, KK Arnold. She's a five nine guard, averages ten points, three assists, two rebounds. She's one to watch, but she could really benefit from staying in the league, uh, staying in the NCAA. So there's not really many players that I would actually give this to. I think there needs to be an option, Sam, to have that, like because for Juju Watson, so she doesn't have to go through all four years. Um, but for everybody, for it to apply for, I don't think all of the talent is at that level yet as far as freshmen's coming in. Um, you know, UCLA, you know, not really too many people there. NC State, because we're looking at the top 25 schools that are ranked right now, there's not a lot of freshmen that are coming in that are on the level of a Hidalgo or a Juju Watkins. So my fir- my only three strong three, I would give it to Audie, um, Juju, and Hidalgo. Well, thank you for that analysis. 
I will say that I wonder how the NCAA game would change if that option were available. And I Mm -hmm. say that because a lot of top 25 teams kind of lean towards playing upperclassmen more because they know this person's going to be here for four years. So we can kind of take our time grooming and guiding them because we've got the time to give. But when you're on the men's side, you know that when you have a top talent coming in, they're really only planning to stay for one year. And so you have to maximize when you're recruiting. I'm recruiting this person right now, and this person could potentially win me a championship right now. And right now might be the only option because they're going to leave. And so I think that's where the game starts to shift. And that's where we might see more freshmen and sophomores playing and getting more minutes because we know when they come in, their expectation is, I know I'm good enough to get into the draft and you're either you're going to give me the opportunity or I'm going to go to a school that's going to give me the opportunity. And so I think that you are eventually going to see more top teams giving their freshmen that opportunity because they're already coming in with that talent and you know you only have a year or two to use it. I was listening to a Gilbert Arenas podcast recently and by recently I mean like six months ago (laughs) but he was talking about why the WNBA should implement the one and done rule and I was initially against it like I've always kind of been against the one and done rule for the women's Mm -hmm. side because there's such few roster spots available And so with that, you have to start considering what you may do outside of playing professional basketball. Yes, there are those that will go overseas. They'll play in other smaller leagues. But you have to have that option for what you're going to do if the WNBA does not pan out because overseas is not for everybody. You've seen people go into coaching, whether it be coaching in college, coaching in the WNBA. You've seen people go into the organizational side, becoming GMs, becoming presidents of teams and organizations and things like that. You've seen people become agents. We've seen a lot of different players do a lot of different things outside of actually playing basketball. And I think that that's important when you only have a league with 12 teams, because we always talk about just as quickly as you can earn the spot, the spot can be taken away from you and you have to have something else to show yourself worthy and you have to have something else to bring more money. Like we got bills to pay. (laughs) Yes. So getting back to what Gilbert arena said, he really made me think twice about implementing the one and done into the WNBA. And he said that it's good for marketing. And so of course I'm like, Hmm, well the WNBA definitely needs more of that. So Mm. I I will take a serious listen to what you got to say. I mean, you're a former (laughs) NBA player. I really want to hear your perspective on things. And to kind of summarize, he basically said that in the NBA, because you have the one and done rule and you have people joining the league at 19 years old, you're drawing in that adolescent crowd, those kids that are in high school, those kids that are like in college that are seeing people that look like them going into the the professional world. But in the W, when you have players that are going into the league at 21, 22, and 23 years old, you're missing that adolescent period because adolescent girls are looking at college and saying, these girls look like me. But then by the time they get to the W, that same adolescent group is not looking at them because they don't feel that same level of connection. Like, 
if I was 13 years old looking at the college game, I'm looking at people that could potentially be my big sister. But mm-hmm. once I get to the col- I mean, to the WNBA world, these are people that I don't feel that connection with because I'm only 13 years old. I'm in the seventh grade. I don't feel any sort of connection to a player that's 23, 24, 25, even older than that years old. You know, and so he was saying if you want to draw in that adolescent crowd, that middle and high school age girl, which is what we want because we want people to have aspirations to one day play in college and play in the W. If you want to draw on that crowd, the way to do it is by having people join the WNBA at a younger age. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense. You know, when we're taking into consideration, we're in America, capitalism, you know, it's got to be profit, right? And also to just have more viewership. And we know that the W definitely, like you said, needs more marketing. Um, that makes sense where you can see the representation, right? Representation is huge. It's big, especially in sports for young ladies trying to look like, you know, trying to go in or gender non-conforming, excuse me, you know, to go into any league or any profession where they want to be seen. And I think that, yeah, it makes sense. I absolutely agree on that side of it where the marketing comes in. I just, I just kind of fear that, you know, there's not that much talent now currently to do that but you know again going with the Juju Watkins who's averaging like 27 points per game on a college level and she's just a freshman you know I think this one and done would apply to her but there's one doesn't have to be something that's implemented like today this could be something that you know three years from now they may say okay in 2030 this is something we're going to vote on to implement for 2030. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so it gives coaches time to say, we need to shift our way of using players because if people are hearing that they can only, they have the opportunity to, to go pro after only a year, most people would take that opportunity. It's the opportunity to see the world, play a sport you love. I can get my degree later on the side. I also think that it would be cool if there was some sort of program to help players if they were to join the WBA as 18 or 19 year old if there was some sort of program to help them graduate from college while they're playing mm, I like that I think that might yeah be, I don't know I've got a lot of ideas for the W because I still would love to see these players graduate from college get degrees because we've talked tirelessly about how much your degree is important and having things to do outside of basketball because you never know when the opportunity is not going to be an opportunity anymore. And so that's why I say the W has a long way to go before that can even consider being implemented. But I also think that with two new teams coming into the league in 2025, and then Kathy Engelbert is talking about another two potentially coming in after that. If these two teams go well, we already know the first one is going to be in the Bay Area. It only makes sense that as you grow, you want to have the top talent in the nation when they're hot. You know, Juju Watkins, yeah. like you said, is hot right now. Mm-hmm. And how great would it be to see a player like her in the W? right now you know these are people that like I said 13 
14 year olds are looking at her and saying, that's my big sister. That's my cousin. Yeah. Like she's the same age as the, the girls that I was playing in high and, you know, JV with just a year ago, like JV varsity, like we went on the same team just a year ago right. and now she's in college. So you never know where, like what types of doors are going to be opened up by that level of exposure. You're absolutely right, Sam. I mean, again, and it's also going to prompt these younger athletes to work harder, to be better, to give their all because they're like, the sky is the limit. The opportunities are here. I just have to apply myself, be disciplined and make it happen. So yeah, it's it's huge because it not only does it push forward, you know, the W in the future, but it also pushes for these young kids in so many different ways because we already know what sports can bring to you just even personally. The confidence, you know, the the wherewithal, the way of like being able to talk with people, how to communicate. You know, there's so many other assets that could come to this. And who knew, you know, by just saying one and done for the for the NCAA to get into the W. So yeah, I mean, I love this idea. Yeah, obviously you said not right now, but definitely very soon, at least in two or three years time, I could see it happening. I'm for it. And we know the one and done is not for everybody. There's plenty of people on the men's side that have played two years, three years, even all four years. Gilbert Arenas himself played two seasons at Arizona, and he was drafted in a second round, but he became one of the best Wizards players in the history of Wizards players and definitely of the 2000s era. Another player, Steph Curry, played three seasons in college, and he's arguably one of the best shooters in the game, if not the best shooter in the game right now. So the one and done rule isn't for everybody, but I do think it's a great opportunity for those that are ready for those that, you know, want to take their talents to the next level and want that level of competition. I say no harm, no foul. The W should try to figure out a way to go for it. Agreed. Okay, so breakout, one of my favorite times of the podcast, one of my favorite segments, my breakout, my unsung hero. Listen, y'all, it was Oklahoma and Kansas State. You know, Oklahoma upset the ranked Kansas State at number two. This is an unranked team on Wednesday, January 31st. Who knew it was Oklahoma coming for you? It was really back and forth for most of the game. The first quarter was tight and the score was 16 to 7 to 16 to 14 rather. Then second quarter, they tied at 19 and they were literally starting to trade shots from the three point range. And then they tied again at 28. It was turnover city after that. Both teams, once they showed, you know, showed, slowed it down a little bit and tied it again at 33, they tied it about three times, three different times in just the second quarter before the half, you know, then they tied it at 39. I mean, Oklahoma was on that behind. That's all I have to say. Kansas state, could not put them away. And they got up. They did, but they didn't stay up for very long. Oklahoma is great in transition, and that's where they got a good amount of their points. Uh, Nevaeh Todd was, you know, she's um, pretty amazing, really. And she was actually the one that made them tie at 43. She did this nasty, like, crossover drive to the basket with a stutter step for the lay-in. It was exceptionally beautiful and 
this is a little one, okay? She's leading the league in assists to turnover ratio. She's the smallest one out there. I think she's like five, six, if that. She's small, but she's mighty. Oklahoma turned over Kansas State 17 times, which was seven more than the times that they were turned over. Oklahoma was locked in, okay? But the standout breakout star, if I had to pick just one person, was Skylar Van. There is something about those Skylers. That's all I have to say. She played 34 minutes, uh, and her team, she led her team in scoring with 21 points, eight rebounds, and three assists. She's a six-foot senior out of Edmond, Oklahoma, averaging about 15 to 16 points per game with seven rebounds and two assists. She's a small forward you can rely on, okay? She's one of those ones. You better stand up and guard her because if you don't hand down, man down, she's going to put you down, okay? It was a group effort, though, of course, to upset the number two Kansas State. And right to the end, this game was tied so many times, it left me tongue-tied. <laughs> they tied at 53 and then at 59 it was you know it wasn't until late in the fourth quarter that Oklahoma actually pulled away and secured the W final score was 66 to 63 they only won by three congratulations Oklahoma y'all deserve this win protect a home court you know how I feel about that kudos to y'all y'all are my unsung here Well, Jocelyn alluded to it earlier in the episode. My breakout star for this week is USC's own Juju Watkins as the number 15 seed took down number four Stanford in Stanford. I'm going to lay out her stat line, but what I have to say goes even beyond her stats. Okay, so she played 34 minutes, was 14 for 26, including six for 11 from the three with 51 points, 11 rebounds, and scored 51 of USC's 67 points. So USC won with a score of 67 to 58. But what impressed me the most was not her score, if I'm honest with you. Scoring doesn't always impress me. You're a baller. You're supposed to score. And we know that When you shoot the best, shoot the ball, there's a 50% chance that the ball is going to go into the hoop. And the more you shoot, the more likely you are to score. But what impresses me about Juju is how she scores. Her game is impeccable for a freshman. She can score in transition. She can stop and pop. She has a nasty fadeaway. She's fearless in the paint. She can pretty much shoot from anywhere on the floor. I mean, what can't this girl do? But what I love best is that as a freshman, you can hear her calling for the ball. She knows what she brings and she can take charge, which is what you expect a point guard to be able to do. So I love her game. I am so excited to see what she continues to do during her tenure at USC. Congrats to her. She is putting USC back on the map and we are loving it. So as we wrap up another episode, Joss, tell the people where they can find us. You know, you can find us at beyond the bleachers underscore on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Make sure you like, follow, comment and join us when we go live you can also find the links to all of our social media pages and streaming platforms at beyond the thank you so much for joining us on another episode of beyond the bleachers until next time stay loud 
stay laced and And stay stay locked locked in. in. Bye, Bye, y'all.